Hey, my fellow monkeys, what's up? Old Uncle Silver back here with you on the Armed Ape Podcast, the show where we review and talk about everything from guns, gear, and movies to life in general. Nothing is ever out of bounds. As always, everything we talk about has the end goal of making our lives better by cutting through all the marketing BS using logic, reason, and honest discussions. I look forward to hearing from you soon and to your participation in the show. Hey, my monkeys, what is going on? Today is Saturday. It's the 9th of May, 2020. Let's go ahead and get that contact info posted, and then we'll jump in with the show. If you'd like to contact me, I have a couple of different ways that you can do so. There is the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731-206-745-APE. One, or if you would like to send in an email or record your own audio and have me play that for you on the air, the address to send that to is thearmedape at gmail.com. All one word, thearmedape at gmail.com. If you go over to the website, you'll find buttons for Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. And right below the Instagram thing is a donation button. And if you ever feel so inclined, you like the show and you would want to support it financially, you can always click on there and that will get to me via a PayPal link that is embedded. So all you have to do is click on there and enter the amount. And the email, not email address, the website address, there we go, is thearmedape.com. All one word, thearmedape.com. All right, that is enough of that kind of stuff. So on the last show, we talked about PacRim and Rampage and kind of how those were, even though I didn't like PacRim, Pacific Rim Uprising, the second one, I guess I should say. The first one wasn't bad. It had its flaws, its fault and its flaws, excuse me, but it wasn't bad. And then there was Rampage, which was the Dwayne Johnson, oh, what will we call it, version of a video movie, of a movie made about a video game, basically. And uh, I like that one. So anyway, this next movie that I'm going to talk about today is called Dragged Across Concrete. And this is a 2018 movie, and it was written and directed by a guy named S. Craig Zoller, Z-A-H-L-E-R. And I think I have, I'm trying to think if I've done all his movies. I, I don't, the main three, the main one that, or I guess I should say the main one that first brought my attention to him was the movie Bone Tomahawk. And I know I did that one. And uh, I can't remember, maybe if I can, I don't know if I want to go through and scroll through, but it was a while back that I did that. As far as it's not that many episodes. But anyway, 
I kind of first came became aware of him when he did Bone Tomahawk, which is a movie that I really liked. The next thing that I saw by him was called Brawl in Cell Block 99. And I think I may have just mentioned it, but I don't think I've actually done a review on it, which I may do here in the future, in the near future. But anyway, like I said, we were going to talk about, uh, let's see, Bone Tomahawk, let me get these things kind of wrapped up, was in 2015, and Brawl in Cell Block 99 was 2017, and then this one, of course, when it was released, like I said before, was 2018. And he is one of these guys who I think he, with the success of some of his movies, even though they're a little, they're different, which I like a lot, he is able, I think, to have a lot of independence and freedom because he does these things as a independent filmmaker. And then he is able to maybe sell them to, oh, whatever, you know, like a big studio or something like that. And then they kind of take the budget or take the, they, they kind of have more of a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The advertising budget, that type of thing. Although this stuff was more kind of word of mouth. He also, I'm looking at the IMDb page now. It says like he also wrote or had, you know, some writing in. Puppet Master, which was in The Littlest Reich, which was in 2018, and then Asylum Blackout, which looks like that was written way back in 2011. And I think he's, according to this, he's he's only been the director on those three movies, Bone Tomahawk, Brawl and Cell Block 99, and Dragged Across Concrete. Now, of course, those with those things, he was also the writer on all of those. And I think he also... I saw a little bit of uh, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on the on the uh, Dragged Across Concrete DVD that I got the other day. He also, I think, has a hand in editing, so he's got his hand kind of in a little bit of everything, which can be good, can be bad. The way that it can be good is, of course, if you have a very strong vision of how you want the thing to go, you can kind of steer the ship that way. It can be bad in that you can sort of do a kind of like a George Lucas type thing to where maybe you're you have some good ideas but you actually do need some some input from other people some collaboration and cooperation so I wanted to talk again let's say about about Dragged Across Concrete because it was a like I said I've liked the other guy's stuff I like his writing style it's a little bit different one thing I will say that maybe he kind of falls short on, and especially in a maybe a what we'll call a movie set in modern times, meaning it's supposed to take place kind of now, you know. So we're we're watching it in presumably if you watch this right when it was released, you'd be watching it maybe in 2018, 2019, and so the how people dress, their the way they speak. The vernacular, the parlance of the time, so to speak. If we take a little bit from uh, the Big Lebowski, it's it's not supposed to be kind of in this odd little world. Now, when you look at at Bo and Tomahawk, the writing was a little different, and the way that they spoke was a little different. But you kind of accepted that, in that you are you're you're in back in the late 1800s. So of course, the way people speak is going to be different. And I, I guess that's a criticism I have of Dragged Across Concrete is that 
the way it, it it's almost like he had sort of two different ideas that competed in his head for how these guys would speak because you have some in some ways the main characters speak almost like they're from the 30s and 40s almost in a noir-like fashion if that makes sense uh, so in in and I'll give you a for instance. In in one part, Mel Gibson and what's his name? Vince Vaughn are driving and they have and Vince Vaughn is he's assembled a rifle. And Mel Gibson says, Don't let that thing catch cold. Meaning, you know, cover cover up the rifle, put you know, put a jacket over it or something like that. And I and, and there's several instances of that throughout the movie where I'm just like, oh, yeah, boy, that kind of takes you at least for me, it sort of took me out of the movie a little bit. And I was, instead of thinking about what the character was supposed to be saying, I, and, this, and again, this happens several times, I remember thinking, well, that's, that's just odd dialogue. So I, you know, from that standpoint, I think, and again, it's not necessarily the actor's fault. They're just saying the words that they've been given. And they say it in a way that they're being directed. So, but other than that, I, I liked the movie that the um, how the how the story is told, the scenes, you know, how they go from the scenes sort of lead one into the other as far as progressing the plot, things like that. But again, that dialogue is just it's odd because in other parts they'll say they'll they'll have like a, a a normal conversation and and use just common vernacular and common sayings and things like that at, at one point Vince Vaughn's character says something like this is different than us arresting some fuckhead drug dealer so and and that's how you think that these guys would normally talk so anyway let's let me back up a few steps and in case you're coming here for the first time, generally when I do a movie review, what I'll do is I'll, I'll talk about the movie in, in pretty good detail up to a certain point, usually about that first act, unless there's major spoilers in there, uh, then I'll, I'll maybe announce or avoid those. But I'll generally talk about the first act of the movie, then I'll play a little bit of, um, of music, and if you don't want spoilers, then you can kind of sign off, find the movie, go watch it, and then come back later after you've seen it. If you don't care about spoilers, you just listen to the little, you know, 10 second music thing. And then and then we're going to be in spoiler territory. And of course, I always announce that, OK, now we're crossing over into spoiler territory. And so we'll sort of do that today. So the. Well, I don't even. The movie opens and we're introduced to. Oh, let me let me see if I can pull up the cast here on this thing so that we I can actually refer to people and I don't have to keep saying, what was that guy's name? So the movie opens up and we see a man and a woman that are in bed and the guy is basically saying, oh, I always liked you in high school. And she was like, well, I liked you, too. And he's like, oh, man, I wish I would have known that back then. And uh, that guy, his name in the movie is Henry and Henry is fresh out of prison he gets picked up by his friend who's named Biscuit. Biscuit is played by Michael Jai White, who you would know uh, from a lot of other movies. Um, one of my favorite movies of his is, I think, Black Dynamite. Uh, 
Anyway, the uh, the guy that plays Henry is named Tori Kittles. He's been in some stuff. I'm not. I he he seemed familiar, but I wasn't sure where he was from. Uh, we also have Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn are police officers, and uh, Mel Gibson's character is named Brett Ridgman. Vince Vaughn's character is named Anthony Loricetti. And they work for uh, some police department in California. I'm not sure where they actually work for. I'm sure the town is a fictitious town, but it's probably supposed to be something maybe like San Diego or maybe not as big as L.A., but something like that. So what happens is Henry and uh, Biscuit picks up Henry and is going to drop Henry back to his house. And when he drops him off, he says, hey, I got this job for you. It's a simple thing. And then... Henry's like, ah, you know, I'm just getting out. Let me kind of settle down for a bit. Let me, you know, give me a day or so to think about this. And he's like, all right, you know, no big deal. He goes back up into his, uh, I guess his apartment where his, his mother and his little brother live. Mom has kind of had to resort to sort of prostituting herself a little bit. Uh, I, I think she just kind of picks up dudes and does this type of thing. Anyway, he doesn't like that and tells her to get out. That tells us the guy that's in there with him, with his mom to get out. And that sort of cements the thing for him of, I need, you know, I need to provide more money to make sure that my mother doesn't have to do this type of thing. So then we flash over to, I believe they are on a, they're kind of outside. Um, we flash over to Mel Gibson. He's outside on a fire escape. And he's waiting for Vince Vaughn. They're waiting. They have another guy who poses as a the superintendent of the apartment saying, hey, I need to, there's a leak. It's coming through. There might be a, a leak in the pipes. This causes this drug dealer guy to flee from the from his apartment. He then, um, they catch him, kind of throw him onto the, the metal landing, if you know, it's like a fire escape landing out there. And then Mel Gibson has kind of got his foot on the back of the guy's neck, keeping him down. And they sort of rough him up a little bit, not too much. They end up going inside. They handcuff the guy to the fire escape by his foot. And he's and after and of course they had the Mel Gibson had his foot on the guy's back of his head and kind of pushed him down when he wouldn't give him the information after he was handcuffed, that type of thing. So they go into, they go in through the window, go into the apartment. They find that this guy's girlfriend is there. They basically make her, they tell her, um, where, you know, where's this green duffel bag that has all this money? Where's this drug? Blah, blah, blah. She eventually gives, and that's not exactly what happens, but it's close enough. They eventually tell her, look, if you, if we're not interested in you, if you just give us, let us know where this stuff is, you're, you're free to go. And she's like, okay, it's over in such and such a place. Well, it turns out that they kind of lied to her, so they, they end up arresting her anyway. So there is some other stuff that happens a little bit later. You, and it may be a little spoiler-ish, in that you have this guy that is dressed head to toe in black, and he goes and he's got a ski mask on, and he's got almost, it would put you in mind of, for when you're doing metal work and you're using the torch to cut just the the cutting goggles so they're not as dark as welding goggles but they're you know they're thick kind of those round lenses type thing a guy goes into a convenience store 
And well, I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So before that, what happens is after they, so they arrest the guy and you think, oh, are these guys going to take the money? You know, if we go back to, they find drugs and they find money, are they going to take that and be corrupt? Well, they're not. So the next thing we see is they're called into the like Lieutenant chief of police who's played by Don Johnson. He basically tells them, Hey, on this arrest that you did on, um, this drug dealer guy, and you would recognize this dude that played the, uh, the drug dealer. And I forget his name. Uh, maybe if I can see it here, we may not. Uh, let's see his name. The character name is Vasquez and he's the drug dealer. Anyway, the guy, the actor's name is Noel Guglielmi or something like that. Uh, but anyway, you would you've you've seen him in a ton of stuff. Like when I saw him, I'm like, oh, it's that guy. So anyway, turns out that there was somebody in the apartment when in an apartment window kind of behind them, and they videotaped it. And what's happened is, is Don Johnson calls him in and says, hey, you guys were videotaped. Luckily, there was no audio but you're going to have to be suspended for six weeks. And they're just like, oh, are you kidding me? Blah, blah, blah. And then this is another thing of the the dialogue was just, it was weird. Where before there's there, when they talk about being rough with people, they, they use the term, and even Don Johnson uses the term when he's talking to him, talks about like you were throwing a lot of cast iron out there. Again, almost seems like something from the 40s. And instead of him saying like, you know, you were going to, you were being overboard. But anyway, he calls him in, says there's this video, says it's going to go live at six o'clock. They're going to release it on the news. I have a friend at one of the stations where it's got turned into, but it's going to be all over the place. And so you're not going to get fired, but you're going to be suspended without pay for about six weeks. And of course they don't like it, but they, they're like, okay, whatever. And an interesting thing is Mel Gibson tries to sort of cover for Vince Vaughn saying, hey, it was all me. It wasn't him. And they're like, no, he was there. Basic, basically what they were saying is, look, Vince Vaughn didn't or Ant, we'll just call him Anthony and we'll call Mel Gibson's character Ridgeman because I think that's how they how they refer to him more. But Ridgeman says, hey, it was it was mostly my fault. And then. The, the what's implied as well Anthony didn't do anything to stop you from roughing that guy up when it wasn't needed so then we flash to you see there's this guy who's uh in the 7-eleven type place a little market guy comes in like I was saying before all dressed in black has looks maybe like an mp5 or something a silenced mp5 comes in says you got you know five seconds or ten seconds to give me the drawer starts so the guy's you know giving him the money then another guy who's you know on his phone or something comes in behind the robber the robber shoots that guy while he's distracted the clerk tries to go for a shotgun the robber then shoots them and kills him the guy is on the ground he's just been shot in the leg a couple of times and he's like oh no please no no the robber just bangs and shoots him so i think maybe and i remember at the time watching the when I was watching the movie, I remember thinking, did this guy, 
how much did he just kill two people and probably only got maybe two, three hundred dollars tops? So, and one thing I will say too for this movie is that the depiction of violence in there is pretty good and how, how quick it happened, how fast that guy was. This part will be a little bit of, well, I, I don't know if I want to give this and I don't, it, it's such a small little thing and I don't know that it, it makes much difference, but maybe I'll, yeah, I'll go ahead and talk about it. Well, no, I think I'll hold off. Uh, and it has to do with the robber. So an interesting thing is in that, in, in that convenience store up playing on the TV is they are talking about uh, Ridgeman and Luce, uh, Larissetti. I'll just, again, I'll just say Anthony. So they're talking about, you know, Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn's characters. Oh, this has happened, blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of almost like, and I don't know if it's, and how do I say this? I mean, in the context of the movie, I didn't know if they were saying, because they didn't like beat the hell out of the guy, unless they're saying that maybe they broke his nose when Mel Gibson pushed his face down into the, onto the fire escape floor. And maybe that happened and that just wasn't really shown or talked about. But I thought that for what they did, for them to get suspended for six weeks, it, it, it didn't seem like they had roughed him up enough to maybe warrant that. Uh, when they are, and we'll kind of flash back a little bit, when they're in the, when they're in the chief's office, Lieutenant John Johnson's office, Anthony gets up, he leaves, and... There's a picture on the wall of Don Johnson and Mel Gibson when they were both younger as cops, and it's it's referencing some major bust that they had had done. And Mel Gibson is getting up to leave, and Don Johnson is like, "Well, hold on a second. So he sits back down, and he's telling him, "Hey, you know, you have been out there. Well, first of all, he talks about his family and stuff like that. So it establishes that they do have a connection other than just he's a superior. And then again, we're, we're shown that picture. So we, we do see that they have a connection. We also see through some of that dialogue when he's asking about Ridgeman's family, he's like, how is your, you know, how's your wife? Which is, uh, he's like, how is Melanie, which is his wife? And how is Sarah, which is his, his teenage daughter? And he's like, oh, they're fine. You know, this, that, and the other thing. And so that's when Don Johnson starts saying, look, one other thing, you've been out there too long You've been, and then again, and the way that he says some of this stuff, you understand the point, but he uses, again, kind of odd 40-ish, 1940s terminology. And he's, he's saying, you've been out there scuffing up con, you know, scuffing the concrete for so long. And if you're out there in a couple of more years, you're going to become a human steamroller covered in spikes with no compassion and humanity and blah, 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 blah. And basically, you know, what he's trying to tell him is you're you're starting to see everybody as just almost like objects or the enemy type thing, you know, where you don't even you're you're gonna cross over into where you you sort of stop seeing you're gonna lose your humanity. Type, I guess is what and I probably just said that, but I'm I'm trying to hmm, let's see I'm trying to convey a lot of the stuff that's that's being conveyed. And I guess my point with that is 
some of that is lost in the choice of the style of dialogue because for me it sort of took me out of it now i i got this movie off of netflix and uh, i got it from uh, from i still get the dvds because there's still a, a lot of stuff that you just can't get it's not streaming probably eventually that will change but anyway i've already sent it back I wouldn't mind maybe watching it again, maybe in another two or three weeks, just to see sort of how it sits with me. I'd like to go back and maybe and watch um, Brawl and Cell Block 99 again and sort of see what the dialogue is there. Although I don't think in that particular movie, I don't think I was really thrown out of it enough because this this was the choice of the style of dialogue was substantial. And I know I'm kind of harping on this a lot, but it really, it really took me out of the movie. And there are other characters that speak in maybe what we would call maybe a clipped manner or a, you would, from a writing standpoint, maybe you would call it in an efficient manner. They don't have a lot of excess words. But none as much as Ridgeman and Anthony, especially when we're together. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's supposed to it's supposed to symbolize kind of this is cop talk or cop lingo. You know, I I just I'm perplexed by that type of choice for the dialogue. I guess so. Anyway, uh, let's see. Where were we in the movie? I think we were talking about... Uh, I, I just finished up talking about the, those guys getting suspended. We see that, like I said before, Mel Gibson is married. His daughter is walking home. They live from school. They live in a... Probably at one time was a nice neighborhood, but over the years it has really gone downhill. We see that as his daughter is walking home... She's white, and there's these uh, four black kids. One kid zooms by her real fast on his bicycle, kind of, you know, cutting in front of her and then going around her at the last second. You know, to intimidate her. You kind of see what's going on there. He goes back to his group of friends. They come up, and they he, he rides his bike up around her again and then just throws an orange soda right in her face. And then she's kind of taken aback. His friends, they all laugh. And then they, and then she just walks home. When she gets home, she tells her mom. Her mom, at first, I was like, who is that? I know who that is. Her mom is, I think her name, I think her character name was, uh, was it Lori? On uh, Walking Dead? I can't remember. The actor's name in real life is Lori Holden. And maybe that's, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, oh, no, her name was Andrea in uh in walking dead she played andrea so anyway she was a former cop she has uh, ms and is no longer working and her the kind of the left side of her body is pretty much paralyzed uh you know from kind of maybe the like she doesn't have use of her arm and her leg is kind of messed up uh, from there so mel gibson is fresh off his suspension they she knows about it. Uh, she tells Mel, she tells, well, I should call him Ridgeman. She tells Ridgeman, hey, this is what happened. It's happened again. And it's it's a thing where she's been assaulted 
like five times in the past, I think they said two years that, you know, so it, it's been a thing of, and it's, it's, and what they implied was that it's happening more and more. And then she is having a discussion with him. And again, this is good in that the dialogue there and what they're talking about is they're talking about, and it's none of this hokey 40s stuff talk again, but it's just, they're talking about, we need to move. And we need to move, not today, not tomorrow, but we need to move yesterday. And he's like, I know that, but we just can't afford it. And it's one of those things, probably because they are living in just a crap neighborhood, that they're not going to get anything for their their little, uh, I think they live in a, maybe a, an apartment, maybe it's like a four or five story apartment building, but I think they live in something like that. At least that's what it seemed or... Maybe that was just the exterior. Maybe they're supposed to live in a small little thing, but I think they're supposed to live in a neighborhood. You see an exterior shot later where you just see how the neighborhood is just, it's just gone right down the drain. Uh, so anyway, they get suspended and this stuff you would kind of maybe get from some of the trailers or maybe you would get from a little bit of, oh, um, if you read some of the descriptions and it's at this point that Mel Gibson gets the idea and he doesn't say it now, but he gets the idea of, Oh, I need to, I need to do something different because if I don't, things are just going to get worse and worse and worse. And we find out a little bit later that Mel Gibson is, he's probably supposed to be about, I think he's supposed to be like 58 or 59 He's not quite 60. They reference a couple of times that he is supposed to be about, uh, oh, right. He's, he's supposed to be turning 60 here pretty quick. So I think in real life, I thought, Mel, I think Mel Gibson is something like, is he, he's in his 60s. I thought he, he looks older, <laughs> you know, in the thing. I would have, I would have pegged him a little bit older. All right, so I am back. I uh, like took a little bit of a break there, and uh, so it's been a few hours. Had some dinner and all that kind of stuff. Also, the family is out doing some other stuff in the other room, so you may kind of hear them occasionally here and there. Anyway, I think what I was talking about was Mel Gibson's age, and I thought that he was a little bit older than he actually is. I think he is only 63. I thought he was maybe around 68 or so. And so I thought he was playing a little bit younger than, than what he actually was, which in theory he kind of was, but he's only playing realistically about maybe four or five years younger. Probably his character is supposed to be, like I said, around 58, maybe 59. And he's looking at maybe getting out probably by the time he's 60. So anyway, uh, Vince Vaughn, I think, is supposed to be, I, th- I think he is supposed to be in the thing, because they said he's around 20 years younger uh, than Mel Gibson's character, and I'm trying to look and see when he was born. So he was born in 1970, which makes him around, is he, 
Yeah, so he just turned he just turned 50 then this year. So he is playing a uh his character I think was supposed to be late 30s, maybe early 40s. So he's probably playing and it would have made more sense I think when you to have him be that age because of what his character is kind of going through. But it would have you know, I know he the director likes Vince Vaughn and had worked with him on uh, on Cell Block, Brawl on Cell Block 99, and had worked well with him. So, but I can't remember exactly where I was in the story. And I think we had talked about the, 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 the robber. And so I think what I'll do is I, I may not have been there. But I'll go ahead and sort of pick back up on kind of in that in that section. So this was what I was kind of going back and forth on as kind of a mini spoiler. And it really doesn't matter that much. Uh, but you see there is these these one guys are coming out of this apartment and this happens a little bit later. And then I think what we'll do is I'll, I'll drop in some music and then we'll start talking about some spoiler stuff. And I'm not going to go into too much details on some of the other things once we get into spoiler territory. I mean, I'm not going to go as a minute-by-minute minute type thing or, or kind of go maybe even chronologically with the movie. Uh, we'll just sort of talk about maybe kind of feelings and things like that. So anyway, the the robber that we had seen first was in the convenience store, went in and killed those two guys. Then... He goes in, you, the next time you see him, he is at outside of a, maybe an apartment complex. These two guys go and get in a car. He was waiting in the car and then tells these guys, give me your wallets and everything. And he's like, you got 10 seconds to give them to me. And then another thing too, and remember how I said I didn't think there was really too many people that were using kind of odd dialogue. Well, the robbers sort of do as well, and one of the things when he when he robs the guy, he so he was in the back seat in the car, which I'm not again I'm not exactly sure who these people were or if they were just randoms, and then why he would rob these guys again. He's not they're not he's only going to get. You know what? At most, maybe a hundred bucks if these guys had fifty bucks a piece on them, and they're in a crummy car. These guys are not—they're not, they're not uh, coming outside of a wealthy uh, apartment or anything like that. They don't—they're not dressed like they've—you know—that the, they've each got you know four or five hundred dollars of cash on them, that type of thing. They're—we're not told that maybe these guys were were drug dealers, and so the, this guy thought, oh, they'll probably have a couple. Maybe they might have you know even. $10,000 on him or something like that. So anyway, he pops up in the back of the car. He's got guns on him. And he says, one of the things that's odd is he says, you know, give me all your stuff. And then he says, show me that lint, meaning show me your pocket lint, that there's nothing else left in your pockets. And then he basically shoots and kills those guys. Well, it turns out if, if you're paying attention, and I guess I wasn't paying attention or I didn't notice it, but later on, I thought it was I thought it was just one robber, but later on you find out 
that there's two robbers and one of them is credited as black gloves and the other is credited as gray gloves and that's how it's in the um in in the credits in the movie Uh, and i'm trying to see even if they have and these guys are always masked. You never see them. And I'm, I'm looking at the full cast thing on IMDb, and it doesn't even it doesn't even have those guys. So I don't. Let me uh, let me take a quick aside here, and I'll, I'll see if I can I can find it. Oh, here they are. Yeah, there's black gloves and gray gloves, and there's a guy Primo Alion who it looks, and another guy Matthew McCall, and it look, it seems like these guys are familiar. Yeah, this the one guy Primo looks like he's been in a, a few things, and the other guy Matthew Matthew McCall. Uh, it looks like he's known. He's been in a, like two or three things. So in the past few years. Um, so anyway, not that it's that that big a deal, but those guys did have some kind of. They had an odd way of speaking. And uh, so I think this is probably a maybe a good, well, we can do a few, just a few more things. So after Ridgeman and Anthony get suspended, Anthony goes to the uh, a jewelry store. He walks up to this jewelry store and the guy, the guy who's, one of the workers there sees him and he's talking to him and says, Oh, we've got the thing for you, this, that, and the other thing. I've, I've got your, uh, the diamond for you. And, you know, he looks at the ring and, 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 uh, Anthony is going to eventually propose to his, uh, to his, um, girlfriend. Anthony lives probably in a decent area. He lives actually in a better area than, um, Mel Gibson's or, uh, than, uh, Ridgeman lives in. Also, Anthony's girlfriend, and I forget her name. Um, I think it was Justine was the name of his girlfriend. She is kind of a up-and-coming person. You know, I don't know if she's maybe an attorney or something, but anyway, she's, a, she's successful. So you see kind of some of the differences in between that. So anyway, one of the things during the conversation that... Anthony has with the guy at the jewelry store, who's an older gentleman, is he says, the guy's like, oh, is something wrong with the ring? And he's like, no, I'm just thinking, you know, with the type of job that I have and what I can do, I'm probably, you know, she's not going to have a life where I'm going to be showering her with diamonds all the time. So this, this sort of puts into, oh, as a little, I don't want to say foreshadowing, but it kind of puts it out there. It lays some of the track work for why these guys maybe do what they do a little bit later on. And again, some of this stuff may be a little kind of uh, out, not as linear as it happened in the movie, the way I'm talking about it. So these guys have been suspended. The next day, Mel Gibson calls up uh, Anthony, or Ridgeman calls up Anthony and says, hey, meet me down at my place at 4.30 in the morning, bring your gear. And so they go and do sort of how they would, what you're led to believe is this is how they would operate maybe when they were on a stakeout. 
Mel Gibson has gone to one of his, maybe a guy who has kind of had some shady dealings, and he said, I need some information on either a buyer or a seller, blah, 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 blah. Meaning that I need some information on somebody that I can steal from who's kind of a heavy hitter. And he ends up getting this information, and that's kind of what he tells Anthony is he says, oh, I'm, we're going to stake out this guy. He's this scumbag. You know, he's, I think they use the, he used the term imbecile or something like that, which again is an odd choice. But he talks with Anthony and says, hey, you know, we've, uh, we've probably, the, between the two of us on, in our years on the police force, we've probably filled up, you know, three wings of the prison. And we're not getting justly compensated for it. And Vince Vaughn has, you know, and basically he's saying, so we're staking out this, you know, we're, we're staking out this guy. So Vince Vaughn basically says to him, wait a minute, you're all of a sudden you're a criminal now. We get suspended for a little bit. And then Mel Gibson is going into the whole thing of, look, I can't. It's only going to be a matter of time before something really, really bad happens to my daughter. I've, I'm on the, I'm quickly approaching 60 years old. I'll pretty much be done at that time. He said, I, I've been on the, on the job for, you know, 30 some odd years and I'm really not any further along than where I was, you know, 25 years ago or something like that. And there is some other back and forth, but eventually Vince Vaughn or Anthony, I should say, says, okay, I'm in. And Mel, uh, or Richmond is saying stuff like, well, you know, are you in? Are you still in? Have you made up your mind? And he was like, I'm in until I'm not. And Anthony says, I'm in until I am not. Uh, so meaning that and, and if they get to a point where they cross a certain line, he may bail. Or... He may say, oh, well, let's, you know, call in the brothers in blue if, if something, we really see something going sideways type thing. And Richmond is like, okay, you know, that's that's fine. And this has, has been shortened up and this kind of conversation that I sort of just related happened over a couple of days in the in the movie, like when they would be back or when they were going back and forth with, with, uh, with things. So I think what we're going to do is maybe call it here for a good place to stop we'll go pretty spoiler heavy as far as what the ending is what some how how some things play out i would recommend the movie i do like it again it's sort of with the understanding that the dialogue is kind of weird and that's why i said i'd like to maybe watch it again because i would be maybe a little bit more prepared for the dialogue and another thing it's funny another thing i don't think i mentioned it before but one of the things that Vince Vaughn says, and it's almost like instead of cursing, he says the word anchovies, like if, if something goes bad. So when they were going to be suspended or, or when they were told, oh, there was a video, <clears throat> excuse me, when they were told, oh, there's a video of you guys kind of roughing up the drug dealer, then Vince Vaughn or uh, then Anthony was like anchovies. And, you know, kind of like instead of saying, ah, shit or something like that. So I, you know, Again, it just a, a little bit of odd stuff. So anyway, I'm a big fan of S. Craig Zoller. I think he is very interesting. I think he has his own 
unique vision, and I'm always a big fan of that. And he has a lot of control, so you are seeing, whether you like it or not, you're seeing what he is sort of his vision and what he wanted to be brought to the to the screen, and the story is being told in the way probably, you know, there, I'm sure there's some budget constraints that would hold him back here and there, but probably for about 99% of, of what you see is how he wanted it to be. All right, so I'm going to drop in some music here. And after the music ends, anything that you hear is going to be a spoiler and going to talk about the endings, talk about if, you know, if somebody lives, dies, that type of thing. So... monkey so going forward this is going to be spoiler heavy so let's jump right in so they have been suspended there's been a little bit of back and forth between anthony and ridgeman about should we do this and anthony is a lot of times is still a little hesitant isn't a hundred percent sure but i think what he's doing is ultimately he he sees that this may be a relatively big score. It may be something where we, it, it will maybe secure his future a little bit. And it will, the, but the main thing, what it will do is if he goes along and helps, it will secure for Ridgeman and his family a better life. So if we flash back to the conversation that Ridgeman was having with his wife, who was Melanie, and about their daughter Sarah, they are living in uh, they're living in a, in a neighborhood now where they are the minority based on their skin color. So the, most of the people that live around them are probably either uh, mostly black and probably some Hispanic. And there is a, a really interesting bit of dialogue that comes from his wife and they're talking about you know we need to like I said earlier we need to move out of this neighborhood we need to be gone from here right now basically every day that we stay here is a risk and it's a legitimate risk it's only a matter of time before somebody attacks us and realistically probably attacks their daughter and what she's she's saying you know it's it's she goes I never how did the line go? She said, I'm probably about as liberal as an ex-cop can be. And I never thought, I never thought of myself as racist until we moved to this neighborhood. And again, it's one of those interesting things of if, if you're in the majority somewhere, you, you may not have experienced what it's like, or if you've been in the majority your whole life, you don't know what the experience of it is like to be in the minority. And then that's what kind of they're experiencing and they don't like it and they feel trapped there. So, you know, a lot of things that people either of lower economic status or of a certain race, maybe they feel like they're trapped. There's no way I can get out. You're seeing kind of that there with them, too. And then you're seeing sort of some of the the actual motivations of Ridgman because they are one of the things that Melanie says to Ridgman is that. It's it's pretty much going to be a matter of time 
before I am sitting in a hospital room with her and they're, they're doing a rape kit on her and there's a rape counselor with her because the girl, and again, she is, the daughter is supposed to be, I think maybe 15 or 16, something like that. And, and probably a little, maybe probably right around like 15. And when you remember earlier, we talked about that the mom has MS and so it's hard for her to walk. She has to walk with the cane. And so it's one of the things of the daughter won't, won't let the mom go and meet her at the bus stop and then walk her back. And, you know, he, Ridgman understands that and everything like that. And there's another interesting thing where he's saying to her, look, even though I'm suspended, I've got this opportunity. And she's like, well, what's, you know, what is it? And he's like, well, it's an opportunity to do this and we're never going to talk about it. And instead of her, and this was some good, what I thought was some good writing because it, it gives you a little bit of insight into that his wife isn't some fainting flower. She's not dumb. She understands what's going on and she just says, okay. And then that's it. So she knows he's going to be up to probably some illegal stuff that something is, is if it's not outright illegal, it's going to be probably morally or ethically beyond what they would normally do. And she understands there's only, you know, we've only got so much time here type thing. The person that Ridgman and Anthony are going to try and rob, they think that he is, is a guy who's been in hiding from the information that they got from this guy named Friedrich, who's played by Udo Kerr. The leverage that Ridgman has over him is he... Udo Kier was probably a little bit, had a, a few toes in the underworld and his son got caught doing some stuff. And then because of the relationship that Ridgman had with uh, Friedrich, he lets Friedrich's son go. And it's now time for Friedrich to play, to pay back the flight. The, oh, good heavens. Let me rephrase that. It's time for Friedrich to pay back the favor. He gives Ridgman information on this person who maybe is a heroin dealer who is kind of in town maybe maybe uh, laying low for a little bit and that there's gonna that this guy is going to be up to something so what Mel Gibson thinks is that there is a certain percentage of chance and that's another thing they kind of when Mel when uh, Ridgman and Anthony talk about stuff they'll say like well what do you think is what are the chances of such and such going to happen? You know, and then the guy will say, Oh, and then Richmond would say 50% or 75%, 25. And then he'll say, what's the other 25, 25, the other 25 means that he, you know, it's a drug deal blah, 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 blah. So it turns out that there is a guy in his name, the guy that's in from out of town, a guy named the character's name is Vogelman. And Vogelman, because we're in spoiler territory, at first they don't know what's going on. Vogelman is going to rob pretty much a, a gold shipment from this bank that specializes in catering to the super wealthy. Of course, they don't know this at first. And then remember earlier we met Henry and Biscuit. Well, Henry and Biscuit are going to 
pose as, even though they're black, they're going to put makeup on to make themselves look white, like that movie White Chicks with the Wayan brothers. So they're going to make up so it they won't be as easily identifiable. The robbers, we find out there's two of them that are working for Vogelman, have secured a armored vehicle, and it looks like a regular security. It's not a big, giant thing like a Brinks truck, but it's a van that's been specialized. So it's got airless run-flat tires, the uh, the body is hardened, the, the, the windshields are hardened, a small arms fire, all that type of stuff. So over the, the next few days, Ridgeman and Anthony are watching Vogelman. They end up going to the bank, and we have, if you remember Jennifer Carpenter from Dexter, she plays a lady who has been out on maternity leave. She ends up, and there's some quirky stuff that we don't need to go over with that, but she ends up coming back and you have Biscuit and Henry that drive up on the curb. And then the, the bank manager guy is like, Oh, are we going to, are we expecting a delivery today? And I, I think I mentioned that uh, Jennifer Carper's Carpenter's character, whose name is Kelly. Kelly has come back from maternity leave and they're saying like, oh, you know, welcome back. And we've missed you these last, you know, four months or however long she took before she was going to come back to work after having the baby. The Henry and Biscuit come in. They originally get everybody kind of on the ground. They then go back out and get everybody kind of wrangled. They go back out to the van. Vogelman and the two other guys, gray gloves and black gloves, come in. And it's a weird thing. I don't know if it was supposed to be a thing to where it was a, a vocal distortion thing or if it was because they had almost like this this little cassette and they would press it and it would say, it seemed like it was saying pre-recorded stuff, but then he would stop it and press it. And so I I don't know. I think it was maybe supposed to be a a voice distortion thing and it ends up going going terribly wrong what they say is so they've got all the people in the bank and they're all standing around and they're talking to the manager and he's like is there anybody in the back if there's anybody in the back and we go back there when we come out we're going to castrate you and they're like and he's like no everybody is out here and then there's like all right we're going to go back in and they they go to jennifer carpenter's character and they say, you basically zip tie everybody's hands behind them. And if you talk to, the, if we see you talking to anybody, if we do anything, we'll execute you. And what happens is there's a guy who, when they first came in, had started to type an email to send to the police, like help, we're being robbed type thing, you know, at, at Edgington Bank or whatever it was. And as, as she goes up to, zip tie this guy he he like uses his eyes and he points down to his computer screen and she sees it and sees the message and he's like he kind of mouths you know send it send it and she's like no no and she's going to do it and then he reaches his hand down to press send and she's like no and, and pulls him back and then the second they do that it's not like the guy says what's going on or anything they just immediately bah, 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 they gun him down and then a little bit later we learn that they pretty much just executed everybody 
They do end up taking a hostage. Uh, and this whole time, Ridgeman and Anthony had been tailing the, the, the van. And that's when Anthony is saying stuff like, oh, man, they hear over the uh, over the radio that some people have been shot up or so, or they they kind of figure it out as they're as they're following the other people and Vince or uh, Anthony's like man we could have stopped this this is our fault that those people are dead we we could have called it in we could have done this we could have done that and Mel Gibson is or and the Ridgeman is like well kind of is what it is and you know that's that anyway they end up following these guys uh, end up they've taken a hostage they've taken a lady from the bank and they are going to drive way out into the countryside where they're going to get into a different uh, get into a different van and then they're going to or a different vehicle and then they're going to go their separate ways and then biscuit and henry will be paid off and then suppose i don't know if they're going to kill the lady or what their what their plan was but they've got her just to, i think as an insurance plan later in a scene that's kind of I don't know how do it's it's kind of a harsh scene, but it's something that I haven't I've never really seen in a movie before. So they've got this lady, she's kind of bound and gagged. She's got her hands, I think, behind her back. She's laying on the floor of, in the back of the van. She's kind of mumbling to the guy. She has to go to the bathroom. So the one guy takes her and cuts her skirt off, and then cuts her underwear off. And then shoves her underwear in between her legs and tells her, like, squirt. And again, some of this stuff is kind of odd, weird dialogue that I don't know. But And then, you know, so the lady goes to the bathroom and then they hand up the the soiled undergarment to them. And they say, you know, get rid of it, throw it out of here. And the whole time, and, and remember when I told you that the that Henry and Biscuit had made their had more kind of like white face type stuff there. They eventually take that stuff off as they're driving and they go way out there. Henry notices that they're being followed. But when the other guys ask them, are we being followed? He's saying, no, I don't see anything. It's just, you know, this old car and this other thing. And this, you know, there's nobody seems to be following us. Eventually they get to. And so you see also that Henry is starting to have a lot of distrust for Vogelman and for black gloves and gray gloves, the way that they're talking to them, they're treating them very poorly, like they're underlings and not really worth anything. And they don't have much concern for them. So Henry and Biscuit were armed and they make them put their, take their guns and put their guns in the glove compartment. And then they're telling them, hey, if, if either of you, if we see you reach for that glove compartment, we'll basically kill you. So earlier... One of the things is that Henry had told Biscuit, like before they go on this job, that what he wants them to do is get four or five handguns. They'll wrap them in cellophane for, I, I don't know why. They, it's an odd, and we'll, we'll talk about this here, and this, would, this makes, will make sense more to gun guys than it would to, to other people. Because other people who aren't gun people wouldn't really think anything of it, but Anyway, they get he gives about four pistols and and what um, Henry and Biscuit had to do, I guess prior is they had to get the getaway car out, and they also had to originally, I think as as um, 
at some point they were in the van by themselves or something like that. So Henry has stashed a couple of these guns that are wrapped in cellophane inside the car. He's also stashed one in in the getaway car, in the car that they're going to change into. And basically, you know, he was telling he was telling Biscuit, you know, it's always good to have a little extra insurance. And then he was like, well, why do you want me to wrap them in cellophane? And he's like, well, sometimes people forget to wipe stuff down or to forget to wear gloves, that type of thing. So, so they are way out kind of in the boonies somewhere. They're out this, uh, at this warehouse. Richmond and Richmond and Anthony show up. They basically get into kind of a firefight with the guys in the van Prior to that, before they kind of show their hand, Vogelman tells Henry to go ahead and get out, open up the open up the uh, the garage where we've got the stuff. He does it. He has secreted uh, from a slit inside the seat in the van. He's taken and put a a gun in his in his waistband, and he's got his shirt untucked. And I think Biscuit maybe has done the same thing. I can't remember. But anyway, he goes out there. It looks like it's going to go bad. Uh, I think at this point, I think this is when Anthony and Ridgeman show up in the car. They The other people notice it. They take a shot at at um, at Henry. Henry fires back because he's got the gun. Bang, bang, bang. And then he runs off to the side. Biscuit tries to get out of the truck and and run off. He he fires at the guys too, but the guys in the van are protected because the van's hardened. They end up sort of leaning out the open doorway and they eventually shoot in and uh, kill him. Vogelman is is uh, or they they've shot him a few times. Vogelman is like, where's the key? And uh, Where's the extra key? And he said, oh, the extra key is on the extra key to the van. Henry had it with the key to unlock the padlocks on the in the garage. The other key, Biscuit had jumped out with. He had taken it out. He also takes the key and he swallows it. So they have no way to start up the van or leave. They can't, because that's what you would think. Oh, it's not that big a deal. They end up shooting him, shooting Biscuit a couple of times in the legs they end up shooting him in the in the old groin area to get him to tell where the key is. He basically swallows it. He's like, no. Uh, and then they just end up killing him. What they do a little bit later, Ridgeman and Anthony basically have ballistic masks and have body armor. They fire at the van a couple of times and then the van has, you know, again, returned fire t- toward them. Uh, but they're kind of in a little bit of a stalemate. Anthony shoots out, is going to shoot out the rear tires, and he does a couple of shots, and Ridgeman's like, did you miss? And he's like, no, they must be running on airless tires or you know something similar to that. They can tell that the van is hardened. One of the things that um, they do is they make the lady go out and get Biscuit's body and bring him back into the van because they think that, if, if somebody's going to get shot, are they going to kill her? Of course, uh, Anthony and Ridgman don't. So she drags the body in and there, and there, there's a lot of stuff to, to going on, a lot of conversation going on about like, well, this is weird or what's happening. 
And some of it is regular dialogue. Some of it is in their stilted oddball dialogue. So the lady gets him. They gets and and is able to get the body back into the van. They inside the van cut open biscuit and fish cut open and pull out his stomach. Get the key. They're gonna maybe start up the van. Ridgeman gets in his car and they ram the uh, van and end up knocking it over on its side. There's sort of more firefights that are going on. They're exchanging a little bit of fire. I think, I think one of the guys pops out because of the way that the van is, has fallen over on its side. You're seeing sort of the underside. So the gun ports and things like that, they can't shoot out of. So they have to open the door or come out on top type deal to be able to, uh, to return fire. I think one of them gets shot. I can't remember. I think Mel Gibson shoots or Ridgeman shoots one of them. Uh, they eventually, what they do is they threaten the lady with that. They say that we're going to, we'll have all your family brutally murdered. What we want you to do is come out. You go out of the van, you go up to them. And so she does that. She goes out. And again, this is a big spoiler part. She comes up, Vince or uh, Anthony sees her and they know who she is because they've heard over the radio who was taken hostage. So her name is something like, it may have been Cheryl. It may have been something else. I can't, I, I thought they called her Cheryl Reed in the movie, but maybe, it, like I said, it, it doesn't really matter. Anyway, what they have told her is, so she crawls up to them and he's like, oh, keep coming, keep coming. She gets up there and right as she gets up there, from out of her shirt she whips out a like a small little revolver and bam tries to shoot Vince Vaughn and shoots him a couple of times one she shoots him in the face but his his kind of ballistic hockey mask thing kind of deflects it the other one I think she actually gets the gun and it goes in between his armor like through his armpit area and he ends up getting shot Mel Gibson just, you know, because she's shooting at them, he basically kills her. And while while Anthony is still alive, you know, he eventually succumbs to these wounds and dies. But while he is still alive, he knows he's not he knows he's not going to make it. Um Ridgeman tells him I'll keep you out of this, you know, if if it comes down to it, they'll they won't know it's you type thing. Well, I'll, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. In a, in a, also as in an aside, Vince Vaughn, I mean, uh, Anthony knows he's, he's not going to make it. And so he calls up his, his girlfriend and basically tells her, oh, if you can go to my apartment in my, you know, beige suit jacket in the left hand pocket, there's something I need you to get for me. And when you get it, call me back and let me know that you've got it. I, it's really important. I can't, I'm in a thing right now and I can't go. She ends up going back to the apartment. She finds the ring and you see her face and she's sort of just looking at it. Of course she knows it's a, you know, it's a little engagement type ring type thing. And so she knows that he's basically saying, I want you to marry me type thing. She ends up calling him back. We never hear what the thing is. The a thing pops up on, on Anthony's phone saying he's got a voice message. Mel Gibson or uh, Richmond, you know, does the passcode. It's like, oh, I know your passcode and, and gives it to, to Anthony. Anthony, Anthony listens to the message and 
you can tell on his face it's not what he wanted to hear. And then Ridgeman says, oh, it's not what you wanted to hear. And he's like, no, it's not. Once Anthony has died, then I think Mel Gibson ends up killing a couple of the other guys. So there's basically just Vogelman left. And he drives his, I think he drives his car. He's got an extra can of gas in the car. He is going to take and basically just burn him up. As he's going up there, Henry, who's off to the side, shoots at him and says, no, you're not going to, you're not going to burn that money up. He goes, you're not going to, you're not going to burn them, burn them out. And he's like, well, it's just gold. And he's like, no, there's cash in there as well. And he says, I don't, and he's like, well, the gold won't be hurt. And he says, yeah, it'll be melted and I don't want it all melted. So basically he forces, he forces Mel Gibson to kind of have it out with Vogelman. Mel Gibson, I can't remember if he gets, I think he's been shot here in the leg or something like that. And um, I don't know if you can hear that in the background, but my daughter's doing some cooking stuff in, the, in there. So you may hear her doing some stuff with that. So anyway, also we come to find out that Henry has taken a video on his phone showing Ridgeman shooting the uh, the lady so basically they kind of come to an agreement of Ridgeman is like look we need each other you and then they kind of sort of quote-unquote mutual they mutually disarm and then he's like we'll we'll take the bodies out of here we'll take biscuit and we'll take Anthony we'll get rid of them we'll split the money and the guy is like, okay, 60, you know, basically they do like a 60-40 split where Henry is going to get the majority of the money. But, I mean, we're talking with the amount of gold that they got out. You've got like three or four duffel bags just filled with little gold things. So you're talking probably $10 million maybe that, that it would be worth at a minimum probably, and probably much more than that. It's, it's, probably, it's just a massive haul if, uh, if what they've got is that and then plus with the cash as well. So Mel Gibson's car or uh, Ridgeman's car has, has been shot up and doesn't really run. So they're going to take the car and dump it down at this lake. They get in the getaway car. Mel Gibson has secreted a uh, little revolver. And then Henry has also taken another gun out that they had stashed in the getaway car. And he's got that. Mel or, or Ridgeman, as they're driving, says, look, you've got that video. I need to have the video because you can use it to blackmail me. And the guy's like, no, I won't. And then he, Mel Gib or uh, Ridgeman then takes out that small revolver and puts it up on Henry's neck. Henry's in the driver's seat. And he there, and they kind of have some words go back and forth. They end out in a close, close quarter shootout. Henry gets the best of, of Ridgeman. And prior to that, Ridgeman had told Henry, look, I've got, you know, the reason I'm doing this basically is I've got a young daughter that's probably, if we stay in this neighborhood, is going to end up, next thing that's going to happen to her, she's going to be sexually assaulted eventually. And he's like, I've got a wife that has MS. And then Henry is kind of saying, yeah, you know, I've got, you know, I need the money too. And I've, you know, I've got my family, all this other stuff. And anyway, they get in the, the gunfight, like I said. Mel Gibson is on the losing, or Ridgeman, excuse me, is on the losing end of it. Henry promises, he, he told Mel Gibson, he's like, you didn't have to do any of this. I told you I wouldn't blackmail you. It was just going to be insurance for me in case, you know, something went wrong. And then 
Ridgman having been a victim of, you know, somebody video him wasn't going to stand for that. You know, so he didn't want to have a video out there. You know, he was like, it's too easy. Somebody finds it. And even if it's not you, somebody else might find it and try and make something out of it. Or if nothing else would just release it just because it's, you know, it's me basically. I guess it was, you could say it was in self-defense, but basically he had killed that lady. So Ridgman said, asked Henry, you know, will you take care of my family? And he's like, yeah, I will. And he's, will you give, he goes, give him the 40%. And Henry's like, it's not going to be 40%, but I'll take care of him. Henry bas- uh, goes out and buries the bodies and tells Biscuit that when things settle down, he'll come back out here and rebury him so that he's not stuck next to a couple of cops. So the next thing we see is we see that Henry has this lakefront house. It's a gigantic house. His mom is getting a massage. You know, it's, it's super wealthy. So obviously Henry has parlayed that gold and the money into setting him and his family up. And then we kind of switch back over to we see uh, Melanie and Sarah. Sarah has brought in a package. They're still in their crummy little apartment in the crappy area, crappy part of town. Sarah brings a package into her mom and she says, it looks like it's, it came from dad. And she's like, okay, well, it's addressed to me. I want to open it in private. And she's like, mom, I want to, she's like, no, I need to open this in private because she knows where she thinks it's going to, it may, maybe it's some information to, to what Ridgeman was in. And she ends up opening up the the box, and you see in the box, and you had seen these earlier, several of these little gold bricks type things. They almost look like a, oh, they would be the size of maybe a little bit, maybe like a three by five little bricklet thing or an index card size, size type thing, excuse me, is about that size or maybe the size of a, of an iPhone or something that there's these little gold bricks in there and there's several of them in there. So I don't know what each one of those would be worth, but, and, and the, the package, what you think is it's probably going to be enough for them to at least get out of that neighborhood. So Henry, you see that again, he was good for his word and that's pretty much how it ends. Of course, the wife doesn't know anything about Henry or who it is. Henry had addressed it that it came from somewhere from Ridgeman. So it came from him to as if it was coming from uh, from Mel Gibson's character, Ridgeman. So that's pretty much it. So that, you know, again, we see that Henry is good for his word. All in all, I like I said, I really liked it. Uh, it did for me have some some flaws. But overall, I would recommend it. And I am going to watch it again. I don't know when, but I will probably watch it again. I'm sure eventually it will be on something like Netflix or Hulu or Prime or something like that. And I will be able to sort of watch it and reabsorb it. And like I had mentioned earlier, now that I'm kind of aware of the oddball dialogue, I, I won't be as taken out of the movie with that. And I won't be wondering all the time, well, why did you make that choice? So anyway, I think I have rambled on for quite a while. 
So let's go ahead and call it to a close. If you liked that, if you've seen this movie and you liked it, if you have some stuff you want to say about it, or if you, even with uh, oh, Bone Tomahawk or Cell Block 99, I think I might try and hook that movie up again and get maybe something like that going here pretty quick. Uh, but let me know. And again, uh, we've got the voicemail if you want to call in and, and talk about that or anything else. 206-745-81-206-745-2731. The email address to send emails or audio recordings for me to play on the show for you is thearmedape at gmail.com. All one word, thearmedape at gmail.com. And I think that is going to it for today so hopefully i will maybe talk to you again in about another week or so all right my monkeys i will talk to you next time <laughs>